I want to speak to you this morning about um, this last passage in the book of Philippians. All right, so turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 10. And this, it will be our final installment in the series of Philippians, The Secret of Being Content, all right, which is really awesome. But, but as we do that, I want to p- kind of paint the picture because this last passage is about, is about how generous the Philippian church was to the Apostle Paul. We'll just read it really quickly. Philippians 4.10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, where whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this who gives me strength. This is the lens through which we've been studying the entire passage of uh, the letter of Philippians and looking for the clues and the keys to what the secret is for the Apostle Paul being content. And today we're going to kind of wrap it up and finalize it. And it, and, it, and it is fitting that we finalize it here in these days leading up to Christmas because what happens in the next segment, verse 14, it says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Well, that's kind of sad. Not one church except you. Paul's on his journey. This church is giving to him. He says, except you only for not uh, not even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then this classic verse that many of you have heard many times. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's a good passage, isn't it? This passage is all about giving, and it is so fitting that we can look in this season of giving, in this season of Christmas, and we can spend a moment here talking about what giving and receiving is all about. And so to kick off this message this morning, I have something special I want to do. It's rainy outside. It's cold. I woke up. I wanted to just turn over. I had the worst, I had one of the worst Sunday mornings that I probably ever had in the history of Sunday mornings. All of my toilets stopped up today, this morning. All the stuff was coming up through the drains of the bathtubs. That's what we were doing this morning while we were trying to get ready. I got out, yeah, ew, yeah. I got out to my car, I was get, had my coffee, spilled it all over my pants, had to go back in, change my clothes. It was just a bad morning. I, 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 it's just so many things have gone wrong this morning. It's crazy. But there is nothing to make you smile. There is nothing that's going to make the day brighter for me and for you than for you to receive a gift from me. And that gift today is breakfast tacos for everyone! 
<laughs> Come on in, everybody. They're going to hand out breakfast tacos to each one of you. You're going to get a breakfast taco. And, and they're going to give you a little juice box or a little drink. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, raise your hand if you didn't get a breakfast taco. Raise your hand if you haven't got a breakfast taco. All right. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Anybody else? It's <laughs> awesome. All right. Did everybody get something to drink? A little orange juice or something? All right. Fantastic. So here's, here's the thing is I want you to experience the joy of giving, right? I want you to experience the joy of this idea of giving things away and what the scripture says about it. But I can tell you, nobody's having more fun right now than me. Watching you guys all, it's so funny. A minute ago, you were like this. And now you are enjoying a scrumptious breakfast taco made with loving hands and a little orange juice in the theater. See, I wanted to do something fun before we moved out of the theater. Because when we move into that new building, I don't want to spill stuff on the carpet. At, at least not for a while. Not for a few weeks. Anyway, so, so I wanted to give you something today. I wanted you, I wanted your face to light up. But I can tell you that I love watching that happen. I love watching everybody hand out breakfast tacos and, and share with one another. It is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is, the, this is the picture that we see the Apostle Paul communicating when he's writing his letter. He's saying, I love these people. I love what you've done. You've, you've shared with me. You've given to me over and over again. Not just one time, but you have, have a giving heart. And it's so beautiful to me. And the Apostle Paul is articulating this in the middle of the concept of being content in any and every situation. He's saying, I can be content. Here's the, here's the, here's the strength of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I can be content whether I have breakfast tacos or not. He's, and he says, and here's, and here's the, the, the wonderful phrase that he uses. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, he says these words right here, I can do all this. What's given me contentment is I can do this through him who gives me strength. So when I look at that, I think, okay, the, the Apostle Paul, content really? In, in any situation, you can be content? Really, you can, you can just be okay and happy with whatever's going on? I mean, you've been beaten. You've been thrown out of cities. You've been shipwrecked. You've, you've suffered immeasurably more than, than so many other Christians. How, how can you say this? What is it? You can be content if you're hungry? <laughs> That's a big one for me. <laughs> I'm incredibly discontent when I'm hungry. You, but you can be content whether you're hungry or full, whether you're in plenty or you're in want. How do you do this? What does it take to have this attitude no matter what the situation? What does it require? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. It requires supernatural strength. That's what it requires. It's not just something you can will yourself into. It's not something you can just, okay, I'm going to be okay. I don't care. Have you ever seen people in your family who are martyrs? <laughs> like, no, no, it's okay. It's fine. No, it's no problem. I'll just sit over here and eat my oatmeal. It's fine. 
You can have all the Fruit Loops. It's fine. I'll just eat the gross oatmeal. It's no big deal. There are mar- that we, well, Sometimes we get a martyr complex. That's this person trying to be okay, trying to be content with what they have, but it's not really true, is it? What it requires is supernatural strength. It requires, here's faith in another who has the strength you need. It requires something outside of yourself. It requires something beyond yourself. Everybody say beyond yourself. It requires somebody else who will give you strength. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I can do all this not because I'm so strong and because I'm so great and because I know so much scripture and because I've been around a long time. No, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Somebody outside of myself. It comes from outside, not strength within. It comes from relying on another who provides the strength. That kind of surrender. Now we see in this passage, the Philippians were the only church that supported Paul on his, on his um, missionary journey. They, su- they supported him financially. But Paul stops short. He says, he says, it's not about the gifts. I'm not really interested in the gifts, all right? Because I've already settled if I have gifts or I don't have gifts, that doesn't matter. I'm not really interested in that. What I am interested, the Apostle Paul says, is, is that you get credited, that your account is credited in heaven. That somehow, and not just in heaven, the, the, the context for these words that the Apostle Paul is using, he's saying, I want you to receive. Hey, are you tracking with me? Are you still tracking? He says, I want you to receive the benefit of being a giver. I want you to receive the benefits of being a giver. I want that to be credited to your account. What this implies is that there is, there is an account that we're feeding into. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. The apostle Paul says, I want you to find the joy. I want you to find the benefit. He wants them to receive the benefit of giving both now and in eternity. And then he says, because Epaphroditus has carried a sizable gift. Most likely the gift is pretty big because he wouldn't have traveled so far for just a small little gift. He brought a sizable gift from the Philippians, and Paul uses the imagery of the Old Testament. All these people would have understood this imagery of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. He says, this is a sweet-smelling sacrifice. This is a fragrant offering, an off, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It's, it's, it's what Paul's pictures for them is, God is really pleased to you because you've sent me a gift. He's not saying, I'm really pleased with you because I'm your dad in the faith and I really think good things about you and I'm so grateful to you. Oh, and I just love you so much. Hug, hug. He's, it's so much bigger than that. He's saying, God sees what you're doing and he's taking note of it. And you're going to benefit from that. God's provision, the Apostle Paul says then in the final verse, in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What he says there is, all of the provision that I need 
all of the provision that you need is found in the riches of Christ Jesus. Whether you have what you need or not, all of your needs are supplied and will be supplied. He's really saying the same thing in these two paragraphs. If you look at these two paragraphs, the first paragraph he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then at the end of the second paragraph, he says, God's going to supply all our needs. Once again, provision is coming not from you. Provision isn't what you can produce. What God wants to provide for you is provision that only he can produce. Only he can produce. You have to rely on somebody else. What happens when it's all coming down on you? When the responsibility is only on you? The pressure, the drivenness, the myopic view of living life just to produce something, to make sure that your kids have something, your family has something, and the financial pressure begins to weigh down on you. It begins to be heavy. The struggle, the risks, they all take a toll. Unless you understand this secret. Unless you can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here about contentment, and that is that God wants to supply all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. His riches are a lot better than yours. So the question then has to be asked, well, what triggers this provision then? <laughs> what, what makes all that happen? What triggers provision is giving. There's two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. Givers make life better for others. Takers make life better for themselves. Givers open their hands. Takers close their eyes. Givers find joy in sharing. Takers find comfort in hoarding. Givers live in gratitude. Takers die in greed. Givers give dignity to others. Takers tear others down. You and I have to decide which one we're going to be, givers or takers. Notice, many people, many people quote verse 19 <laughs> without doing the things that the Philippian church did. The Philippian church gave over and over sizable gifts. They gave to the Apostle Paul, and in response, the Apostle Paul says, God is going to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It's a response to the giving. A willingness to give and share with others what God has given you. That is the secret to pressing through, cutting through all of the pressure, all the junk, all the risk-taking, all the, the, the fear that happens to us. So he's really saying the same thing. What triggers contentment in your life? Understanding that you have supernatural strength and help from God. What triggers provision in your life? Understanding that God is your provider, that it doesn't come just from you. Now, you have a part to play, don't you? 
In fact, it's so much easier to believe in the supernatural strength to find contentment than it is to believe in the very tangible way that you need provision, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, okay, I get the supernatural strength thing. All right, I can, in the strength of Jesus, I can do all things. Yes. But then when you're trying to pay bills and it's not there in the bank account, that's, a, that's like a different deal altogether, isn't it? How do I handle that? How do I deal with that? I think the Apostle Paul is giving us a hint. He's telling us something that is very important to Jesus. It's very important to God. When we look in the Old Testament, when you're willing to give and share with others, something gets triggered in the kingdom of God, and God provides for your needs. I want you to see a very famous story in the Bible. Turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now you've had a really good breakfast taco. Don't go to sleep on me. All of your tummies are working now. <laughs> I want you to see this. We're going to read just we're going to read just a little section of it. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac and Isaac being offered on the altar. Notice what God says to Abraham in verse 1, he says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I, here I am, he replied. And then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I love this description because it was an interesting way for God to articulate who Isaac was. He wasn't really his only son, was he? Ishmael had already come. But he's saying something very specific about how meaningful Isaac is to Abraham. He says, I want you to take Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I, I love the next phrase. It is a peek into the confidence and faith that Abraham has. Notice what it says. Early the next morning. He didn't wait around for a few weeks. Oh, I need to consult with some people to see if this is really right. I'm not sure this is good. I'm not sure I heard from the Lord. I'm in... No, he actually, instant obedience. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants, his son and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering and set off, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is This is crazy. This is the promised son. This is the son that Abraham had in his old age that Sarah had when she was way too old to conceive. This is the promise. This is something that's been years and years in the making, and God says, I want you to give him to me. <clears throat> Skip down to verse 9. When they reached the place... God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And when he reached out his, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This is so, there's so much here we don't have time to, to really unpack. It's such a beautiful story. Isaac is a teenager by this time. He was strong enough probably to resist his 100-year-old dad. It, there, I, there was a, a, a surrender that Isaac went through. There's a picture of Christ here. There's, uh, there's Abraham being obedient in the face of, of this, this terrible thing that, that he's about to do. <clears throat> and then he, so <clears throat> he lays down, he's ready to take the knife to slay some, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, 
Abraham, Abraham. <laughs> you can kind of see it. It's like, Abraham, wait, 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 wait. I always see the little picture in my child's Bible when I, when I see this scene. He's got the knife raised, and the angel is there, and he grabs his wrist. That's how it was in my little kid's Bible. And he stops him. And he says, here I am, he replied. Same reply as the first of the chapter. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, what does he call it? Look at it. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord, now watch this. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations, you should underline that little phrase right there, all nations. This is a, this is a reconfirming, an affirming of the original covenant in Genesis 12 and he says, I'm going to do what I told you I would do. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here's what I want you to see in this picture. Essentially, what God says to Abraham is because you have not withheld anything from me, I'm not gonna withhold anything from you. There's a giving that Abraham had to surrender to. Now listen, it's easy to give stuff you don't really care about. <laughs> it's easy to give stuff away. I, I've given more stuff that I don't like to the goodwill than <laughs> I can shake a stick at, and I don't really care. I put, I put it in the car, I drive it down to the goodwill, I drop it, I'm like, man, I'm glad to get rid of that stuff. <laughs> we're, we're talking about something, something else here when we start talking about giving. And this is an illustration, this is a story about how God is interested in providing for every one of our needs, but there's a trigger, there's something that happens, is we've got to surrender to the belief that he is able to provide, even when we're, we, don't, we can't quite figure it out. Abraham couldn't figure it out, what God's plan was. For all we know, he, he was thinking, all right, well, God can raise him from the dead if he wants to, or God will provide another son, or, God, I mean, who knows what Abraham was thinking, but there was trust, there was faith, there was belief. Okay, I'm going to give. Even in the face of not knowing, I'm going to become a giver. Turn back over to Luke chapter 6. Go with me to Luke 6. Luke 6, all the way to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Matthew, Mark, then Luke, and chapter 6. I want to read a little passage to you. There are two parts. There are two parts to giving. Two parts to giving. Here it is. Number one is obedience. We see it in, in the, the story of Abraham. And then there's a, there's a part that's about trust, believing. Believing that God will provide. If you think about it, you see Jesus reaffirming this idea. I want you to look at Luke 6, verse 38. 
it says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, most people, when they talk about giving, they, talk, they, they apply this to money. But really, the context isn't necessarily about money. According to the instructions in the Old Testament, now I want to picture, provide a picture for you of what this looks like. What is this about, about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will men give to you? What is that? According to Old Testament instructions, farmers in Israel were to leave the grain in the corners of their fields for the poor. So they would leave these corners of their fields when they were, uh, do, uh, and during the harvest, they would have people who would work those fields and they'd pay those people. Those people would gather the harvest, bring it in, in their baskets, and they would leave the corners. The instruction from the Lord was, leave the corners for the poor people. And so the primary harvesters, harvesters in the middle of the field, they were paid to bring the crop Poor people on the outsides, primary workers in the middle of the field would fill up their baskets and they would take them into the barn and then come back and get some more and get some more, you know, sun up to sundown. They'd dump it out and go again. they paid by the job or by the hour. But there's an entirely different thing that was happening with poor people. This wasn't the case. They weren't just going and filling up their basket and dumping it out. They were typically coming from a long, further, a further distance it wasn't necessarily near their home. So they had probably walked several miles to get to this place. And they would come with their family and they would begin to fill up their baskets. So as they began to fill up their baskets, they would fill it up to the top, make sure it's a good measure, and then they would start pressing it down, pushing it down. Why? Because this is all they were going to get. They were going to make sure that it was pressed down. They were getting all they could because they had to walk several miles back. Pressed down, then they would shake it. All, this, all this, uh, the grain would, would settle. They would get rid of the air between the grains. So now they're, they're measuring it. They're putting it in. They're shaking it. They're push, pressing it down. And then they're, it's, it's running over. It's kind of it's running over, and there's, there's things spilling out over the side. This is the picture that every one of Jesus' hearers would have seen as he said it. Notice what he says. He says, give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now he's talking about something beyond just giving. He's saying, look, this is how God works. God works in this way. When you give, when you become a giver, God gives back to you in a greater way than you could imagine. What he's really saying is the measure you use is the measure that's going to be used on you. And then he adds to it. This is a universal principle with God. Whatever you give, it will be given to you in a greater measure. Just think of the illustration of an apple seed. You get an apple seed, what happens when you plant the apple seeds? 
a tree shows up and now produces all these apples. More apples, more seeds. Look at verse 37. We're not just talking about money. This isn't about money. This is about having a giving heart. Verse 37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Do you see the context? We're not just talking about money. We're talking about judgment. How much you, the judgment you dispense is the judgment you'll get back and it'll be more. The condemnation you dispense, you pass out to other people, or you come to conclusion on others, that's what's going to be given back to you. It works the other way, too. Forgiveness, you extend forgiveness to someone, that forgiveness is going to be multiplied back to you. Love, you share love with others, that love will be multiplied back to you. This is a powerful concept that we need to understand if we want to be givers. Now, here's the problem is many people have confused the reward with the motivation. What a bummer. Material gain cannot be the motive for becoming a giver. It doesn't work that way. What we're talking about is a heart transplant, a heart that's given by God. There's nothing in Scripture that says we should make personal gain our motive for giving. There's nothing that says, hey, here's how it works. If you give, then you get all this stuff back. That's why every time we give an offering, almost every time I say something to the effect of, we don't give out of obligation or duty. We don't give as an investment because we are going to give something back. Oh, I'm going to give in the offering. Let's see. How much do I want back? Let me calculate it. Okay, $10. Of, uh, I want $100 back. Okay, $10 in the offering. You could see how messed up that is. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. How, would, how do you think God feels when people get excited about giving toward his kingdom purposes when they're whipped into a frenzy by get-rich-quick promises? That's not, that's not the point. This principle is not about the motivation for giving. It is about the reward of giving. And God doesn't want us to catch the vision of getting. He wants to, to catch the vision of giving. Look at this. God sees your motives. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. James 4, verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that, you're, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Look at the bigger picture. Go further back, and let's, let's zoom out in this passage. Go to verse 30. Look at verse 30 in, in Luke 6. It says, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Huh? What is this? What is this concept? What are we talking about here? We're talking about being able to be a giver, and to believe that God will supply all your needs. That when you see a need, you give to it. I have practiced an idea for many, many years. Number one, I, I, I made, a, made a habit of tithing. We just tithe in our family. Tithe means 10%. It's a tenth 
And it's, it's, uh, I think it's a biblical principle, and I, and I just do it. I just do it because it demonstrates and it communicates to God and to everybody else, to my family, my kids, my spouse, that we don't believe that we are the ones producing all this. And it communicates to God that I don't believe it all belongs to me. I think that's the reason for tithing. It's a demonstration that you think it all belongs to him. And then the second thing that I've practiced for a long time is the willingness to give to others when I have it. And, and, And even sometimes when I don't necessarily have it. Um, I think there's a moment, just like Abraham, where we all have to pass the test of believing that God is going to be our provider. And, and uh, there, was a, there was a time uh, recently where I was praying, and I was just kind of going about my business in, the, in prayer, and I was, I was just talking to God about things, and I, I really, he was been stirring me about generosity and about being the kind of church that will be a giving church, and I could hear him say to me, I want you to give to this family. Personally, I want you to give that family something from you. <laughs> and I was like, that must be me. That's not God. So, God, I just want to be more generous. I want to be. And I could just, I could tell this was something he wanted me to do. I was like, God, you know, Christmas is coming. This is a large amount of money you're asking me to give. And there was a moment where I had to decide whether I believe this. And it just so happens that I had. Um, it just so happens that I had gotten my tax refund, and um, I had a bunch of money in the bank. <laughs> it's so awesome how it makes you feel when you have a big pile of money there. You just feel better. You just walk a little straighter. You just stand up a little bit more. You feel a little bit more confident. <laughs> He's like, I want you to give that away. It's like, okay. And I did it. I did it, I did it the next day. Now, I don't have a big miracle story to share with you about that. What I can tell you is every step of my life, as I've practiced these two principles, I have everything I need and more. I'm planted a church with no guarantees. (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but I have five children. That means seven people in my family. Leaving a really good career and a really good church and just taking the risk. I have never been in need. God has done something. And listen, we, we, we live in a smaller house. We, live in a, we, we do our bills differently now. We, you know, all that stuff, everything has kind of changed. But we wouldn't have it any other way. We love seeing the miracles of God just providing for our daily needs. I think it's, it's something we've got to look at. Now, the reason I think people tend to talk about money when they look at this is because money is the thing that grips your heart most. But this isn't really about money. Look at verse 30. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Notice the terminology. He's talking about credit. The same idea that the Apostle Paul is identifying in this letter, and he's saying, I want it to be credited to your account. I want God to credit your account, all of his riches available. He says, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. I want you to notice both of these segments begin with give. Jesus' message to his hearers right here is be a giver. Be a giver like God. And notice what he says. He says, give to those who ask you. Give to those who can't pay you back. God, lo God loves those who won't, won't demand it back. He says, God, give love to those who don't deserve it. Give mercy to those who wrong you. Give the kind of treatment you hope to receive from others. Give, give, give. And by the way, when you do, your heavenly Father will make sure you get much more in return. God is a giver. And we see it by one of the most well-known verses in the scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he he gave. Can I tell you that contentment is the byproduct of having a generous and grateful heart? Somehow when you open your heart up and when you are willing to be a giver, when you're willing to give to people in need, when you're willing to give without necessarily demanding something in return or being paid back, there's something that changes in your heart there's something that is transformed i'll tell you what when you see it happen and you give and then you see god provide for your needs what happens to your faith <gasps> it goes up it starts being strengthened a generous and grateful heart is the byproduct of knowing that god is your provider <sighs> i don't have to worry anymore now, I must confess to you, I wrestle. I wrestle from time to time. The bank account being full and the bank account being <laughs> empty, that messes with me still. But I've chosen these principles. I've chosen to be the giver and to be as generous as I know how to be. And I want our church to be just that way because I think if we will grab a hold of the concept, the revelation, the heart transplant, the change in our thinking. If we will get a hold of this, number one, none among us will have great need. Number two, God will use us to reach this city. He'll pour resources and all kinds of things into our laps. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He'll help us accomplish the purpose for which he sent us here. And I want you to grab a hold of that. I want you to see. I want you to, like the Apostle Paul said to these Philippian believers, I want you to gain the benefit 
of becoming a giver. I want you to be credited to your account, both here and in heaven. And I want you to embrace it. Let's pray together. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I want you to consider how the Holy Spirit might speak to you. What would the Holy Spirit say to you about just your own heart and your own life? In this season of giving, could it be that God wants to do something new inside of you? In this season of giving, could it be that Christmas could be the catalyst for a new way of living for you? That you would think differently, that you would see others differently, that you would consider what it is that God wants from you as you offer it to him freely? Just let him speak to you now. Put his finger on that place in your heart. Become the giver that he wants you to be. Receive a heart transplant here this morning. With your eyes closed, I want to encourage every one of you to say yes, to believe, to trust. I want you just to kind of give up because the first thing that you've got to give him is your heart. (laughs) The first way that you become more like God is you give yourself and you give yourself to him. You offer everything and you say, yes, God, I'll let you use me in whatever way you choose. I'll give everything to you. Even in the midst of this of the struggle and the difficulty and the economy and the and the fact that I'm already in trouble. I I, I don't have any other options. I I choose to give who I am to you. And then begin to let you use me to be a giver to others. Now, Father, I pray over every heart and over every person, over every life, over every family. I pray for a revelation. I pray for a heart of giving. I pray for a heart of generosity. I pray in the name of Jesus for a desire to be more like you, to love you with everything, to serve you with everything, and to share with those in need. Teach us how to do this. Teach us how to be the kind of church that will share with others. Teach us how to be generous Teach us how to be the kind of people that will just lay everything on the line and accomplish your purpose in the kingdom. Becoming more like you and letting people see a picture of you by our great love. Now, across the auditorium, if there's anyone here, I just want one more thing. Just to pause for a moment and say, if you feel as though you've been away from God and you Maybe you've never really had a relationship with God. Maybe you've gone to church for a long time in your life. You've been in and out of churches, but you really haven't had the kind of relationship with God that I'm talking about where he provides for you, where you can talk to him about these things. 
and you want that today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray over me. I want to commit my life to Christ today in a brand new way. I want to give my heart to him. If you're here and you sense that God is calling you, you sense that in your heart, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want you to respond to the work of Christ, the work of his spirit in your life. And if that's you, if you feel that in your gut and you say, I want to respond to God, lift your hand up in the air and say, yes, I want to commit my life to Christ today. I want to recommit my life to Christ. Yeah, I see you way up here. Yep. Anybody else? Yep. I see you over here. Anybody else? Yep. Anyone else? giving your life away. It's so it's such a good decision. It's such an important decision. Come on, let's pray this prayer everybody together. Pray it out loud. Say heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you've given to me through your son. You've washed away my sins. Forgive me for all my failures, all my mistakes. Make me a new person today. Make my heart clean. Make me into a giver like you. I surrender. I choose you. I choose to follow you in every way with everything. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts. Seal it now. Continue it. Cause it to take root in this seed that has been poured and planted into us. Lord, and let it grow up into a beautiful beautiful demonstration of your grace in our lives. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank Jesus for what he's doing in us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you.